Hello, everybody, and welcome to our latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Hyle, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. In past podcasts, you've heard from researchers, you've heard from patient services staff like Brenda Edelman and Sue Walsh, and you've also heard from even advocates like uh, State Representative Brian Cutler and others uh, who all have a very different perspective on the disease. Of course, no perspective is as good as a person actually living with ALS, and that's who our guest is going to be today, uh, my friend Paul Miller. Before we get into our discussion, I want to tell you a little bit about how I came to know Paul. Um, Every year we get 50 to 60 people from our chapter going to Washington, D.C. for advocacy to talk to legislators about why we need to spend more on research money and why we need a cure sooner than later. And uh, one of his friends here, Melissa, who was in a previous podcast, said, you should really talk to the Millers. They're fantastic human beings and very smart and can share a lot of why we need to do this. And so I've had the good fortune of talking with Paul over the years and having him to D.C. and to Harrisburg. And he he and his wife Eileen do so much for ALS advocacy. And so I'm really glad to hear all that he's doing to continue the fight um, both for himself as a person living with ALS and, as Paul will talk about, even more for everyone else he knows affected by the disease. Um, Before we get into our conversation, I want to remind you, you can get involved in fighting ALS at www.alsphiladelphia.org, where you can donate, volunteer, advocate, and more. And we have our Walk to Defeat ALS coming up on Sunday, November 1st at Citizens Bank Park, and that's at www.greaterphiladelphiawalkedfeetals.org. And our annual luncheon's coming up on Friday, November 13th at www.alsphiladelphia.org luncheon. There's a lot of information there. Please join us, join Paul and others in helping to end this disease. Now with that introduction out of the way, uh, Paul, thank you for joining and talking about your experiences. Uh, you're welcome, Tony. So, as you can tell listening here, Paul is on a phone, and so hopefully you don't have any audio issues, but uh, Paul, tell us about um, when you were diagnosed with ALS. How long ago was that? Uh, I was diagnosed in August of 2012. Uh, My beginning symptoms probably were almost a year before that. Uh, I noticed I started to walk a little crooked. I would walk into a doorway and just blame it on old age or just not paying attention. And as uh, things progressed, I started club dragging my left foot, losing my balance. You know, I was getting drop foot. Uh, I couldn't jump down even the smallest of steps without falling. And I knew something was wrong, but, uh, you know, I didn't think much of it until I started going to a local neurologist who gave me MRIs, EMGs, blood work, and actually I had to come to Philadelphia to get diagnosed with ALS. And so it took a while, and before you were formally diagnosed, had you did you have any idea about ALS before that? Had you any experiences? I had no clue what ALS was. All I know, uh, Luke Gehrig died of it. I didn't know what it entailed. I didn't know it was a death sentence. I didn't know nothing. So when they told me ALS, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know the finer details about ALS. And I think that's normal. 
Um, and I'm sure that, as you'll explain, your experiences are not that atypical. Um, I, I talk about my grandfather having ALS, and I didn't know anything about it beforehand. I know my father didn't before uh, my grandfather was diagnosed. And instead of going through a life story, now that you've done a lot of advocacy, um, have you found that your experience in being diagnosed is, is typical? Uh, no, I think mine's not typical. Uh, I'm already living and diagnosed over three years ago. I'm still on my feet, but very carefully. Most of my weakness is in my legs, but uh, I still try and get out there to golf, which is not really called golf, but just the fact that I'm out there and mentally it gives me such an uplift. So I'm still on my feet. I'm getting very educated on the disease, and my joy is to speak to colleges, physical therapy, nurses, or, or any person that wants to listen and educate them about this disease. So your experience in living with ALS is unique to you, but um, from meeting a lot of other people at Advocacy Day, at, at support groups and other things, um, your experience in terms of how long it took to get diagnosed, is that have you heard that from other people as well? Yes. Uh, typically, when you're getting diagnosed, you're sort of not even thinking in the means of ALS. You're in denial. You're just saying, thinking something little is going on. By the time you give up and really go to a doctor, a couple months could be gone by. And then when they're starting to do testing, they have to delete all other diseases to get to ALS. There's not one set test for ALS. So you have to get an MRI of your head, your neck, then they might give an MRI of your brain. You have to get uh, blood work. You have to get EMGs, which test the muscles. And by the time you actually even get to the doctor that can actually give you the diagnosis of ALS, a year could be gone by before you're diagnosed. And that's a very important year uh, with all the care that you could get. Um, I'm sure that that process is scary and frustrating. Yes, it is. I mean, it's, it's just frustrating because you're trying to live your life, and, you know, going to work, and then all of a sudden you're having troubles with balance and like in my part with it was in my legs and you're dealing with balance almost falling at work and then they coming down on you saying hey you better go home because you're a liability you know until you find out what's going on so it's a little bit of a hassle for you going to work but you still want to be you you want to go to work make a living for your wife and kids and be normal yeah it, it, Everything just changes. I think everybody's got something about them that is not normal, though those things are usually less serious than ALS, and we all want to be able to fit into life as best we can. So you were diagnosed with all those issues after a while, and uh, how quickly then, pretty quickly, you decided to be an advocate, participate in events. Um, was that just your determination that you were going to do everything you could to get involved? Well, what happened is uh, 
five years ago, we lost our son to a distracted driver. So deep down, that to me was the worst thing that ever happened. So when I got ALS, you know what? When I found out I might have only two to five years to live, I sort of didn't care because if I'm going to die, my son's there waiting for me. But then as the disease was progressing slowly, it's like got into me where I need to fight for myself and other people with ALS. So I started educating myself, uh, going to advocacy in D.C. and getting to know the ins and outs of this disease. Our goal, especially my wife, who was my caregiver, we like to, if we go to an ALS meeting and see somebody with ALS and they're not in a good mental status, that's the person we want to talk to to try and get them on a, a better note, a more positive note than going into the depression that, oh, I'm going to die and I'm just going to give up. So the longer I have the disease, the more I want to fight, speak about it, uh, try and organize and help with fundraisers the best we can. We want to do anything we can to get to that cure. Well, and I know you got you and your wife Eileen well at this point, and I, of course, don't want to miss out an opportunity to show my sympathy for your family situation with your son. Um, and I know that that, on top of this, is just issue on issue. Now, going beyond that, though, to your ALS story, you knew you wanted to fight and do everything you can, and tell us a bit about what you've done to... Uh, raise money, raise awareness, and increase research spending even? Well, first, last year, I started, I had a contact at a, a local college, and they asked me, it was their physical therapy group, if I would come and speak about ALS. And of course, I was a little scared, but once I did it, and the, the students at the college level uh, they were so interested, and in one college had an ALS little support group, and only one person out of probably 15 had any involvement with ALS, like maybe their parent had it or a grandparent. So for kids to step up inspired me that, you know what, if I could go speak in colleges and the physical therapist or nurses educate them more on this disease, the more I educate them, the more the word would get out about ALS and how bad it is. Thus, having walks, runs, or anything to do with ALS, maybe we would get more support. Now, recently, in 2014, we had the Ice Bucket Challenge, which was the greatest thing that ever happened for ALS, especially for fundraising. So this year, you know, I try to organize some other fundraiser through the local college, you know, and they helped out, and it only made a little bit money, but every little bit counts. And uh, the fundraising is fun. You get to see other ALS patients, maybe talk to them, and try and build them up to try and stay positive to deal with this disease. So for you, it's not just about raising money and getting things done, but you, you really stress the importance of real awareness, not just knowing that ALS is a thing, but, but you want people to understand 
what ALS is as a disease. Um, right. Do you think that that comes from your from the long frustration of just the difficult diagnosis, like knowing how hard that is? You want people to understand it as soon as possible. Well, the problem that I see is like I've been diagnosed three years ago, and people with ALS have already come into our lives and gone before me, and that's very hard. And take the ice bucket challenge. Everybody sort of knew this disease was Lou Gehrig's disease. Now the ALS name is recognized. And I spoke at a college last year. There was about 150 kids. We asked them who did the ice bucket challenge, and probably 90-some percent did. And when we asked them, did anybody look up the disease and see what it was all about, and about six people raised their hands, they did. So most of them were doing that for just the fun of it. And yeah, we got a lot of donations. So my goal was to try and educate people now on the disease. So when you mention ALS, they know it's very severe. It's very hard to deal with, and it's a death sentence. What What do you think that people... Um, what are their people's first impressions of ALS? Do they think it's that they're sitting in a, someone's in a wheelchair, that they just can't use their legs. Um, you... uh, most people don't know much about the disease. Like, it, that, it's hard for me because I'm physically still look pretty normal. I'm putting on about 25 pounds. Usually you lose a lot of weight. You lose muscles. Your capability to use any muscles. It could be your, in your legs. It could be you can't even use your arms. You can't breathe. You can't swallow, thus you might need a trach or a feeding tube. Uh, people just don't realize the severity of this disease because until you see an actual person that in the severe end of ALS, you don't know how bad it is. Yeah, it's people have no idea what that means. And, and do you think when you explain the symptoms one by one, which I know you do, um, are those symptoms that people understand, especially the college kids you talk to? I think they understand it, but it's harder with me. So what I typically do once I'm done speaking, I will get away from the podium, ask somebody for an assistance, and I'll show them like that I can't even jump. I'll try and walk without my walker with somebody close to me in case I start falling. But I try and give them, like, I try and kick, and they see I can barely move my legs. I can't. I, I'm lucky I have enough strength to, just to stand on them. So I'm trying to get them that sense, but I tell them that it can get so much worse where a person can't even feed themselves and they can't swallow food because the muscles start dying. Do you think that those issues are harder for college kids to understand than other people because, you know, they're in the prime of their life? I think it's harder for anybody to understand unless they deal with this disease and see. Like, we've had good friends, like our cl local clinic that we meet to support. Last year we have we had a nice group of eight to ten people, and then you come back in spring and already three three of them died, and two or three of them are so weak 
their caregiver can't even get them out of the house to come to the meeting. So things change rapidly when you think you have a group of strong people and we're there to talk to each other and support each other, and then you come a, a couple months later and a couple of them already passed away. It's just hard to take and it's hard to visualize unless the person can actually see a patient or like when I explain, you know, I'm hoping they're getting the general picture of how bad this disease can be. You know, you talk about those support groups. Um, I hope that you find the support groups valuable. A lot of people with ALS talk about them as their most important thing at the chapter. Uh, the support groups are phenomenal. We wish more ALS patients could get out and go to them. <clears throat> and for one reason is, uh, here's an example. I'm mostly lower weakness. It's getting into my arms. But I would ask somebody that was a little farther advanced than me questions. Maybe it's about a feeding tube or a decision they might have to make. Or, okay, my, my arms are starting to spasm. Like, does this, did this do with you? Uh, you know, I, I, I like to ask people that are a little more advanced than me that are sort of like my situation, what's to come? Because what happens is, say my breathing test has been very good and it started going down well right away I thought it was getting into my breathing and my lungs and right away your brain goes oh it must be the ALS it's getting worse and then I turned around and had a better breathing test so just because it dropped a little it was probably because of a long winter where I wasn't outside and wasn't really doing anything that once the summer came and I got out and it's warmer and I was breathing a little more, the, the test went back up. But right away your head goes to, okay, the de disease is progressing, you know, and then you start getting depressed. Yeah, do you think it's scarier and um, harder to deal with now understanding the disease and, and knowing what things can mean? Or was it scarier not knowing and worrying about... Um, you know, what could be? I think it was scarier not knowing to me. I mean, I know all that could... It's, it's just a very hard disease to cope with because of it can affect so many things. So your brain is like every little thing, if I have a scratchy throat or I seem like I'm breathing shallow, my brain goes right to... It must be the ALS progression, not an allergy or something like that. So you're sort of caught in a trap. You know, like as soon as something happens, your mind always goes, okay, this is probably from the ALS until you either go to a doctor or something clears up if you're having a problem with something. And so now you, you want to make sure other people know about the disease um, and they want to know the hardships and, and also some of the hopefully maybe some positives, not of the disease, but of your life perspective. Um, what do you tell them about how, what your perspective has been? Like, has your perspective on life changed and, or just your general outlook on things? Uh, general outlook, uh, basically stayed the same. It's the hardest part of the disease for me is mentally adjusting. Like you can't go out and, weed whack, you can't paint a room, you can't do this. 
uh, it's hard because you're mentally so want to do it and your body just don't allow you to function properly. So mentally, it's so tough. And, and to make, the, I've always took it as a positive and it's probably because my son died where now it's like socialization, getting out and having dinner with somebody on the weekend. The winters are very tough. They were tough before, but you're sort of trapped in a house. I can't go out and try and use my roller walker out in the ice if it's slippery. The cold shrinks the muscles, makes them tighter, thus makes it harder to walk around. But just even if it was Saturday night dinner or somebody coming over to watch a football game or to play cards like that, you have to you have to think is you're physically dying, the muscles are dying, so you mentally have to say, okay, it can't be about what I can't do. What can I do? Can I put a jigsaw puzzle together? Uh, I could go on the computer for a while. If somebody comes over, we could talk. I'm lucky enough I could still eat and swallow. So going out to dinner, just socializing and getting myself out of the house, is such, I, I think it is such an accomplishment. It just lifts me just to be out there. Now, I mean, that's great. And I, I'm always wanting to see you doing some good things. Every time I see you at a walk or something, you have one of the bigger smiles there. Um which makes things easier for me. Do you, is that something you want to inspire to the students you talk to to make sure that they appreciate things in life more? Oh, yeah. Well, what I do is I, I speak to them about the disease and tell them, like, not just ALS, even handicapped people, if you see them trying to get in a door or they need help, go over and offer some assistance. It, it will make that person it will make it easier for them to get through, and it should make you feel good as a person that you're helping somebody. And I try to stress to these people that, you know, and a good example is if I'm going into the bathroom and there's a heavy door and a tight spring, that door could knock me over and I could fall down if once I'm trying to get through if that door hits me, say, in the side. But if you see somebody struggling, open a door for them. Or help them put their groceries away. It doesn't have to be about ALS. It could be anybody that looks like they're struggling with anything. So do you, do you think that the students you talk to are receptive to the things you talk about, both about ALS and just about life in general? Uh, the students themselves seem to, when you tell them about this disease, they feel like they just got punched in the gut, like, realizing how bad it can get. So some of their problems may not seem so big, but they do seem to want to help. Uh, they're open. Uh, they're just taking in information about a disease, but if it leads to anything of them helping anybody, not just with ALS, it's a great thing. It's hard to tell because when I speak, after they might have to go to another class, some of them might sit there, they'll come over and give you a hug and say they're sorry. Or, And I try to tell them, you know, like, if you give a hug to a person like me, that feels good, too. Like, it shows that, but then I have to tell them, if you 
pull me towards you or anything like that, you're going to have to support my weight because I get small. And they don't realize how weak you are until something happens. But they all do seem to really respect you and really give their thanks for you coming and speaking about a disease that I have. Well, hopefully they give you more motivation to keep doing it, knowing that you can tell the point is getting across and that they're actually listening. Yeah, that's for sure, because I've already just booked two new colleges this year, and I'm hoping to get the two I did last year, and they're inviting me back, which means it's good for their criteria, it's good for their education, and Let's put it this way. I've been to many places where the physical therapist will ask me, well, what exercise can are they having you do? And you can't do exercise because the muscles only get tight, they get weaker, and you're at risk of falling. So really only stretching to keep the muscles elongated really helps. But the physical therapist, many of them don't know the physical therapy end of it for ALS, so I'm trying to educate them before they even get into a practice. So maybe now they're learning more, they'll have more perspective going into things. Um, now, you take some questions from some other students too? Uh, usually as I'm, like usually normally what I do is I go over about ALS, tell them what it is, what the disease entails struggles of having this disease, and at, during different points, I will ask, is there any questions? Sometimes I don't think they have enough time to absorb it, to ask questions, because I, in the end, usually I'll get one or two questions, but I think they're a little bit shocked, and it didn't quite sink in enough for them to ask questions, but once in a while, they'll ask me a question. So, not too often. They're just so en enchanted in listening to what I have to say. Well, so let me ask this then. In terms of either students or friends or just you know people you come across with that are unfamiliar with ALS, what are the th kind of things they ask about that they want to know? Well, they'll, like right now I'm in a, I do a roller walk. They'll say, oh, did you have a... Uh, a stroke or something, and I said, no, I have ALS, and I love when somebody would say, well, what is ALS? Because then I start telling them about ALS. You know, I love that part because sometimes people just shy away and they won't, you know, even ask you, they'll just say, oh, he has ALS, and unless they go into their phone and read a little bit about it, but when I tell my story, I... I personalize it, and I tell them my beginning symptoms and how it has affected my life and stuff like that. So you, in general, you, you want people to approach you. you want, you're a friendly guy. If you see Paul Miller, come say hi, ask questions, don't be shy. Yep, absolutely. I, I love a person that will come up to me and say, you know, I see you're struggling there. Uh, what's going on, or what happened to you, and especially if they're, if they ask just a couple questions about ALS, if they ask me, they're, and they're willing to listen, they're going to get a good education on it, but I enjoy that, and 
people that asked usually enjoy listening to it because they heard of ALS, but they just don't know what it is, you know, deep down. Well, you said the word enjoy, so let's talk about some positive things that you do enjoy um, that I know we've worked on together. So one of those is you like you really like the walk, right? The walk to defeat ALS. Yes, I like the walks because there's everybody there has usually has some kind of connection or family member that has ALS. So when you're there, and if you're in your jazzy or wheelchair, people know you have ALS. And I light up. I mean, I, I like to talk to whoever I can, smile, enjoy the time. And it's just like a big family. Like, everybody's so nice to you. They understand the disease. The walks especially are mostly for fundraising. But for me, it's a get-together. There's people that I know that are patients that have ALS that I've met through advocacy or just online. And it's just nice to talk to them and see how they're doing and keeping up the fight. And it's it's just a nice environment for me to be in, and it's really down to socialization. You know, I think, tell you the truth, I think the positive attitude has slowed my ALS because I don't go, uh, nobody would blame me for laying on the couch and not doing anything, but staying positive with positive thoughts. Do I have my moments? Of course I have my moments. But trying to stay as positive you can, I think it's a brain disease. So if you can keep your mind in a better place, hopefully it will slow down the disease and you can, you can cope and deal with it better. And I think that's one of the best parts about the walk too. It's the money that's raised, which is important, but also bringing people together that often don't get to see each other. I mean, I saw you at the Lehigh Valley Walk uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was the first time that we'd seen each other in months, and I, I was really happy to see you and see some others. So um, you like the community amongst everyone else, and, the, and you don't get that at many other events aside from the walk, just with the amount of people. Yes. Uh, you don't get, unless you have a personal local friend with ALS, and they have a, a fundraiser, which there is a couple up near us, that we do do a walk ourselves, and we actually did a dinner party type thing where they raised 20 some thousand dollars. I mean, going to that, I went to a, a, a dinner fundraiser where they had a DJ and baskets, and then their son passed away from ALS, and they're raising money. And they came over to me and said, would you mind if we introduce you? And yeah, not that I want to be recognized, but it's for ALS. It's supporting ALS. And everybody there, especially the family members that have dealt with ALS, come over and they talk to you. They understand what's going on. You know, so just them coming over and chit-chatting with me is such a big thing. So one of the best things about seeing people at the walks is not just that you're seeing friends, but you're seeing people that understand what you're going through. Yes. And, absolutely. And that's not and just even, the... Uh, even in D.C., when we advocate, every person there has something to do with ALS. So, like, say if I'm at a table eating and I have my roller walker, as soon as I stand up, maybe to go to the bathroom, 
there's people already moving chairs and clearing the path for me because they know it's a struggle for me to get by. So it's so it's such a nice feeling that, and it's not a, a nice thing, ALS, but these people understand that you're struggling. So they go out of their way to help you and make it easier for you. So that it really gets me in the comfort zone when you're around people that are medically into ALS or struggling with ALS or they're a family member or caregiver. It just makes it so much easier and comfortable for an ALS patient. Yeah, I find one of the things that I appreciate both at the walks and at, and at the advocacy days in Washington that the staff and the volunteers um, are really, they put the patients first in terms of, well, we need to make sure that it's flat here or we need to make sure that um, food is accessible, that people are able to hear, that um, it seems like there's a lot of people that have the people with ALS and their needs at really a top priority. Yeah, you feel that when you go to these events and you just felt like they just understand what's going on and it makes it, it does make it easier uh, and it makes you just feel good, like it makes you feel like you're loved because they might be a caregiver or they might be medically or they might be socially connected to ALS, but they understand what's going on. They know at a whim I could fall or I could struggle if something's in my way or if there's steps. If there's steps, then I got problems, you know, but... Uh, even going to all these things, they're usually very accessible, and it just makes you feel comfortable. Well, and you mentioned Advocacy Day, so I'll ask, um, do you find that Washington, in terms of the people you meet with, the, the congressmen, the staff, do you think that they, they get it too, they understand, they might not understand ALS, but they understand paying attention and helping out? Oh, yeah, I, I think so. They're more informed about the disease. They just feel like they care more. I mean, I, I like that my wife and I like to advocate, you know, because the only way we're going to cure this disease is by, unfortunately, money. And money that can either go towards clinical trials or they can go to handicap accessible equipment or transportation. It's all needed. Unfortunate that it's taking this many years for fundraising to get up at a better level where they're get, they're getting close. So it's it's really truly gives me an inspiration that I, I hopefully could see the cure in my lifetime. Well, I do too. I I want a cure tomorrow. I think hopefully you get that sense from everyone you work with here and and at national too that we're all in this together and we really want ALS to be cured more than anything else. Everybody in staff is always so kind and considerate. It's they know we need the help and they know they we need the funds to get to that cure. And everybody always feels like they're striving towards the goal, and that is the cure. Well, and one thing we didn't talk about is not just the the people that have ALS, but caregivers. Our annual luncheon coming up in November is honoring family was honoring caregivers generally. Um, there's professionals like in-home caregivers and social workers and others. There's also um, 
people like your wife, Eileen, and sons and daughters and parents and neighbors and, you know, aunts and uncles and everyone else that provide a lot of care. Um, how does ALS affect those kind of people? Well, people don't realize how important the caregivers are. Um, typically, with my wife, I mean, sometimes they just feel, feel left out. I mean, if people call on the phone, right away they're asking, how's Paul doing? They never ask, how, how are you doing? Like, and it's a lot of responsibility. It's overwhelming to see a loved one go from playing volleyball and bowling and golf, working 8 to 12 hours a day to not being able to do hardly anything. So they're always worried that you're going to fall if you're trying to do something. Uh, I, I, I really try and praise the caregivers when I see somebody or know that they've been taking care of somebody because they're almost dedicating their lives to them. They worry. They have to do this. They have to do that. At some points with ALS, I mean, you can't do nothing if all your muscles are dead. So the responsibility of the caregiver is so great, you know. They need a break, you know. They need someone to come and talk to them and support them and maybe help out a little bit. But the, besides the patient, the caregiver is really the most important person and they sometimes get left out of the loop. So any support that caregivers get, especially from uh, the ALS Association or anything, even if it's just to talk to them, it means so much. So you're glad that our annual luncheon this year is going to be honoring caregivers and, and uh, all that they do? Yeah. I I wish it was, we'd lived a little closer so we could... It's not easy for us to be driving two hours just to go to something like that. So sometimes, like, she may opt, well, I won't do that, where, you know, caregivers really got to take care of themselves, too, so they can take care of their patients. But, uh, you know, I mean, I wish I, you lived closer, too. We could hang out. Yeah, I know. That's, that's what, you know, like, sometimes you're living in an area where, it's not too close to everything, but I know now they actually have a clinic that's getting closer to us for clinic day, and we're considering instead of the long drive to do that, but we want to talk to a few people before we make that bigger decision. Yeah, well, it's important to have everything um, in place, know what you're doing, um, talking to everyone you need to talk to. So, you know, we're, we're coming towards the end of our, yeah, our conversation here. Um, is there something else that you want people to know about ALS that you think not enough people are aware of these days? Um, you know, a lot of people still don't know about this disease. And with today's technology, within one minute, they could go on their phone, look up the ALS facts or anything about ALS, and within couple minutes they could get some education on the disease it's so easy and unfortunately education is going to be a big part of this disease it would help in the fundraising part because just like cancer cancer ended up uh, like breast cancer they make they have so much awareness and what it is is it's strength in numbers so the more people that get educated about the disease 
the more money we could make towards uh, the funding of ALS and getting to that cure. So really, you know, just my goal is to try and educate as many people as I can and try and stay positive for the people that have ALS and can't do this because some can't do it at all. So if I'm still healthy enough, I want to do it. Well, I, I know I speak for everyone else in that I appreciate your positive attitude. Um, to quote the New Day in WWE, um, you know, the power of positivity makes a big difference. Um, and I, I think it makes it easier for people to talk to you. Um, certainly people are listening to you and they, you're a well-requested speaker. So uh, we appreciate your attitude and appreciate all that you, can, you do through advocacy, through the Walk to Defeat ALS and more. Um, if you want to hear more about Paul, contact us. Uh, my email is Tony at ALSPhiladelphia.org. You can get in touch with us on social media, all at ALSPhiladelphia, one word. That's Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, everything else where you can get in touch with us, send some questions to Paul. I'm sure Paul will be happy to share more of his story, too. And, of course, join our Walk to Defeat ALS on Sunday, November 1st. That's www.greaterphiladelphiawalktodefeatals.org. Um, or just go to ALSPhiladelphia.org and find many ways to get involved, including our annual luncheon honoring caregivers on Friday, November 13th. So thank you, Paul, for talking to me today and, and for all you do for people with ALS. And thanks for letting me speak about ALS, and hopefully I'll see you soon. I can't wait.